what does going to the dentist, paying taxes, and dieting all have in common? Somebody said pain. That's really good. They're all pretty miserable, right? They're kind of like things that you know that you should do, but nobody really gets excited about them, right? I mean, they might put you in jail if you don't pay your taxes and you know, if you got to lose some weight, you got to go on a diet and you, you know, it is a good thing to go to the dentist. Is the dentist one of the creepiest places to go? I, I think it is for me. I, I really dread that. I've got an appointment coming up in a couple months and I'm like, oh, that gritty stuff that they, they like grind on your, t- is that the worst? I have a friend that actually enjoys that. Like his favorite thing is to go to the dentist. Anyway, it's another thing. Today, I want to talk to you about something that for some people, might kind of, it might kind of rank with going to the dentist. It might rank with, with, with going paleo. But, but it's something that is really awesome and really powerful. And we've been in a series that we kicked off last week called Strapped. And we're going to continue that today. I want you to open your Bibles today to two passages of Scripture. One, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And then after that, we'll go to John chapter 12 to look at what God has to say to us today. Um, But I want to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, generosity is something that is not, it's not, should not be forced or manipulated It's not something that should be coerced, but it should come from our soul. Today we're talking about soulish generosity because God wants us to be people that that learn to prosper in the area of generosity, but we do so from our soul and from our heart, not not from compulsion, not, not from arm twisting or from manipulation, but like something that is like deep down within us that, that moves our heart and our spirit. And the example I want us to see in John chapter 12 is a woman who really understood this, maybe as well as anybody in the Bible. <clears throat> um, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, has just been resurrected. And Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they decide to show to throw a party. I can't think of a better occasion to throw a party than somebody just got raised from the dead. Can somebody say amen? Yeah, like if you had, if you had an uncle that got raised from the dead, we would have a party, amen? So Mary and Martha, they're throwing the party for Lazarus, and, and some really interesting things start to transpire. Martha is one sister. She's the one doing all the preparations. She's, she's the hustler. She's the worker. She's the, she's the planner. She's the executor. And, and, and on, the, on the contrary, the sister Mary is just, she's hanging with Jesus. I mean, she is having the best time. I mean, Jesus is there, and Jesus just raised Lazarus, and Lazarus is sitting there too. And so Lazarus and Mary are enjoying the company of Jesus, and Martha is up doing all the work. But, but Mary does something that uh, we're still talking about 2,000 years later. Um, she begins to anoint uh, the body of the Lord Jesus. And, and I want us to look today in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Six days 
before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. And then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. It was worth a year's wage. And so we have this conflict between Judas Iscariot and the generosity of Mary, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I want us to see three things today that relate to soulless generosity. Soulless generosity. I mean, Mary was just caught up in the moment with Jesus. And the first thing that we see from her example is that soulless generosity is something that is not logical. It's not logical. It's not something that can always be put into a spreadsheet. It's not something that can, that can always be articulated or planned. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not thoughtful, but it means that there are times when the Holy Spirit will lead us and direct us to do things that are outside the borders of what is norm and the norm and what we are used to doing. And, and there are times when we're just caught up in the moment of worship and gratitude to Jesus. Now, Mary is grateful because, because Lazarus has been raised from the grave. And I think one of the greatest recipes for generosity is a grateful heart. I mean, Lazarus was in the grave three days. The Bible even said that his body smelled bad. The King James Version says, he stinketh. And Jesus raised him. And that's a pretty good reason for celebration, you know? And she's just grateful. And, and maybe, maybe Mary was grateful because of some things that Jesus had done in her. Maybe you're grateful for some things that Christ has done in your heart. You, you used to be a person that struggled with, 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 with finding purpose and, and maybe depression or maybe some type of substance abuse or there were other challenges. But man, you met the Lord and Christ began to give you some strength that you had never known before and you're grateful. Your marriage was crumbling, but, but the Lord intervened and... and and things were, were reconciled, and you're grateful. You're, you are so excited. You're like the number one fan of Jesus because you have seen what he's done in your life. This is, this is the heart of Mary. She, she's grateful. I, I was talking with somebody the other day about the meaning of salvation, and they said, Pastor, if salvation is by grace through faith and not by my own works, why would anybody ever do anything that's good? What's the motivation? It's a great question. And I said, because the greatest motivation is not, is not obligation, it's love. I will do this for obligation, but I will do this for love. Amen? Is that true? 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you're motivated by your heart and by your soul, not by some obligation, not by a group of a set of rules that the church handed to you. You are motivated by passion for Jesus. And the law of love will drive you to, 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 to be committed at a level that rules and obligation cannot even get close to. The highest level of motivation is love. This is the heart of Mary. Mary's, Mary's, she's a lover of Jesus, man. She's, Jesus is in the house. I'm spending time with Jesus. Is there anything more wonderful than that? And notice what it says here. She washes his feet. In normal circumstances, a, a, a person would wash, the hostess would maybe anoint the head with oil, but, but not the feet. The servants would wash the feet. And there was some nasty something on people's feet in the ancient world. You know, you, you needed to get your feet washed. But the servant did that. But Mary is so caught up in the moment that she begins to do what the servant did, which shows us her humility. In Psalm 23, 5, it says, You anoint my head with oil. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's the norm. What does she do? She takes the pure nard and begins to put it on the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> And it says here that this was worth one year's wage. Just think for just a moment what you make in one year. And that's how valuable that this perfume was. I mean, this stuff must have smelled great. Amen? I mean, this would rival Clive Christian, Coco Chanel, Gucci, Creed, or whatever else you could come up with. This was the good stuff. This was not brute by Fabergé. When I was in the sixth grade, I had this crush on this girl, and she gave me some, some chaps by Ralph Lauren for, man, I wore that stuff. That was awesome. I was allergic to it, too. I'm allergic to, to everything. I have to, you know, I got allergies to everything, but I wore the Ralph Lauren. It was worth it. Sneezing, you know, blowing my nose the whole time, it was worth it to smell that good. She busts out the good stuff. She doesn't even give Jesus like half, half of the pine and art. I mean, she's, she, she's dousing him with the whole thing. Can you imagine how that room must have smelled? <laughs> you know, a lot of times when you put on cologne or some smell good, you know, you can just dab, a fin you can dab your finger with it or you can just spray a little bit. And a good bottle of, of perfume or cologne can last a really long time. But she's just dousing Jesus' feet like all over the place. She's so in it. And a pint is about 16 ounces, I'm told. That's like a vente over at Starbucks, okay? So you can just imagine the vente at Starbucks on the feet of Jesus. Wow, this, this was intense. This, this was something to, to behold. Maybe that's why the gospel writers wrote about it and, 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 and told her story. She wipes him with her hair. Uh, in the ancient world, men did not see women with their hair down unless... They were married. And, and, but she breaks cultural norms. I mean, again, Mary is caught up in the moment. God, give us a heart for you that is not bound up by what is the cultural norm. Let us be people that will be led and filled by the Holy Spirit to do what God has purposed for us to do even when it causes us to color outside the lines and to do things that maybe other people think are kind of odd and weird. 
Well, <clears throat> this was this worship experience. And this was an amazing time that she had of worship and generosity. Um, and she's caught up in love. I mean, she just loves Jesus. Um, Mary doesn't, she doesn't try to defend herself um, when people are standing around going, what's she doing? She's just, she's pouring it out. Um, When I got engaged to Gina a few years ago, um, I was a grad student. I was at the seminary getting a master's degree and I had officially no money. I worked at a church. I made $1.50 a month and I lived at home with mom and dad and I'd, I'd managed to save just a little bit of money, but pretty much I had no money. Okay. And, um, Gina and I fell in love. We wanted to get married, you know, and we were on the fast track to get married. So I was like, I got to get a ring. So I went and talked to this lady that sold jewelry that had, that was a friend of my parents. And I found this really nice stone and I mean, it was beautiful and it was, it was magnificent. And I didn't even think that I could get something that good for her. But I looked at my bank account and it was pretty much going to take everything that I had to buy that stone. So I said, you know what, man, I got to go for it. I got to get Gina a good ring, you know. So I bought the stone. But how many of you know there, there's a problem? You can't just have a stone. You have to have a setting. Amen. Right. I mean, a diamond's not good if you put it in your pocket. So now I've got another problem. And the lady said, I've got this special band. that has got these princess cut diamonds on the side. And, you know, it would be so perfect. And it was her size. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, i got to have that. What do I do? I have no money. I have money for a stone. I have no money for the setting. What do I do? And the lady said, you know what, Ron, I never let anybody do this, but I'll let you pay it out. And I was like, awesome. So I was doing all these odd jobs on the side, you know, trying to pay for the band and all that. And I finally got that together. And, man, when I gave it to Gina, she was so thrilled. <clears throat> and she was a teacher at the time, and she wore it to school the, 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 uh, a couple of days after we got engaged. And um, one of her kids, like a fifth or sixth grade girl, paid her the greatest compliment. She said, Miss Key, your ring done soaked up all the sunshine. Your ring is blinding me. Now, if you're a woman, is that like the greatest compliment you've ever heard before? Because, you know, when you get engaged, you float. I don't know what it is. Women start walking like this when they get engaged. You know, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not this. It's not this. It's like this, right? I have never regretted spending that money on that ring. Gina was thanking me the other day. Ryan, thank you so much. Why? Because it was an act of love. I loved her. When you love somebody, it's natural to want to give your very best, isn't it? I think this is the heart of Mary. I love Jesus. What do I have? Oh, man, I got some perfume. Jesus' feet are dirty. Maybe I should pour the perfume on his feet. And sometimes giving doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Um, the scripture says she had actually saved the perfume to embalm Jesus' body. But she was so caught up in the moment of worship, she could not contain herself. <clears throat> uh, many of you know that it took us a long time to have children. Gina and I were married, I think, like seven or eight years before we had our, our first. And it felt like 15 years. Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
And we went back to back, though. We had two in a row, which was so amazing to me. I'm like, it took seven or eight years to have the first, and then we had two in a row. It's amazing. But um, after we had our first child, we were just so grateful that we actually had a child because we weren't really even sure if we were going to have kids. We decided to bring a special offering to the church. It was an act of love and gratitude. There was no obligation. There was no... You know, nobody told us that we should do, we just were caught up in the moment of gratitude for what God had done. And we brought that special gift as as an act of worship. I think that is the heart with which Mary is teaching us that our giving should not always be logical. Sometimes our heart for Jesus is motivated and moved in a way that we are compelled to do things that are outside our own normative behaviors, and we are compelled to do so because we are madly in love with him. But it gets better. Soulless generosity is not only not logical, sometimes it is motivated by great opportunity. It's motivated by great opportunity. Look in verse 7 and 8. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. There was a specific, there was a specific opportunity that was here. Number one, Jesus was going to be crucified and he wasn't going to be around forever. And, and, and Mary wanted to, to spend the most, the most powerful and the most compelling time with Jesus that she had ever had. And, and he says here, you know, it, it's awesome to give to the poor, but, you, but, but I'm not going to be around all the time. Isn't that interesting? I mean, do you, you, some people would think what well, Jesus would say, here, don't put that on me, give to the poor. No, he's like, you know what, I'm not going to be here very long. I will receive your worship. I will receive your generosity. I will receive your love and devotion. <clears throat> and, and Jesus does not interrupt Mary for what she was doing. His feet were dirty and they needed to be clean. I mean, you know, uh, when we give, we should look for a need. And Jesus' feet are dirty. I got the perfume over here. Let's put that together. I love Jesus. It makes sense. And uh, this was not a waste. This was not a waste. Um, giving is not a waste. Sometimes we can look at the subject of tithing and, and offerings and we can say, man, did, is this a waste? You know, every year I get my statement from the church that says, you know, what we gave. And sometimes I ask myself the question, did I do the right thing? I don't know if anybody else has ever asked that before, but I've asked myself that question a few times. We've had several building campaigns here at Edge Church and I've asked myself, Ryan, did you give too much? You know, but I'll tell you what, as I've thought about it, and as I've prayed about it, I don't think that I have. Because God is that great. He's that amazing. And it's with that heart that Mary begins to worship. She begins to worship Jesus. Um, let me ask you a question today. Um, how many of you, could you just raise your hand? How many of you committed your life to Christ or you were baptized here at Edge Church? Can, can you just hold your hand up? Yeah, yeah, all over this room. Yeah, it's amazing. Amen. One of the great reasons 
that we love to give is because of the impact on the lives of people. It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. And isn't it great to be a part of a church that is always reaching the people? That's one of my greatest motivators. I mean, I, I love to give at Ed's church because people are being reached. The gospel is being shared. People's hearts and lives are, are being transformed. Is there anything more compelling than that? It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. And that's why we give. Um, you're sitting today in somebody else's sacrifice. A few years ago, our church made the bold commitment to find our own facility. We were meeting in an elementary school. We were meeting in a middle school. And we said, hey, we want to have our own building." And many families in our, in our community made a commitment, made big, big, big sacrifices. You're sitting today, if you're a newer person to Ed's church, you are sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. And moving forward, moving forward, we have the opportunity to allow others to sit in the sacrifice that we've made for them as well. So Mary sees a great opportunity I mean, Jesus is here. Jesus' feet are dirty. Let me put one and one together. And we got two. What can I do? Um, There are certain opportunities that God puts before us that if we miss the opportunity, we may not have them again. Jesus was not going to be around forever. And, And that great opportunity might be in the season when you receive a tax refund or a bonus. It may be a time when God just puts something specifically on your heart. There may be a specific need that is going on in the church. And maybe you can't do that all the time, but, but, but it's a special, it's a special compelling. It's a special opportunity. And God wants us to be ready to say yes to Him when those happen. Well, soulless generosity um, arises from great opportunities, but it also does a third thing. Soulless generosity requires significant sacrifice. Now look at this. Um, if, if you look in verses 4 through 8, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Now isn't it interesting that the one that's criticizing the generosity of Mary is the one whose heart was obviously not for Jesus. Judas Iscariot, of all of the twelve, it's Judas that's saying, Mary, you've lost your mind, don't do that. Look at this right here. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Soulless generosity is compelled by great sacrifice. Uh, We teach here at Edge Church that there's three pockets of giving. There's the faithful pocket. That's the first pocket. When we give out of the faithful pocket, that's the tithe. That's the first 10%. That's what God has called us to do. The tithe is taught uh, even at the book of Genesis. Uh, Abraham brought, brought a tenth portion to Melchizedek. Jacob brought a tenth portion. Um, first fruits 
were, 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 were brought to worship the Lord with Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. It's, it's echoed through the law of Moses and it's, it's affirmed in the, the prophets' teachings in the Old Testament. It, it's, 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 it's affirmed by Jesus in the Gospels. <clears throat> uh, the tithe, being faithful, being faithful. There's also a second pocket. And God wants us to not just give out of the first pocket. Sometimes it's being generous. The generosity pocket is the second pocket, and that's the pocket where we want to do a little extra. We want to help a friend. We want to give to a special offering. We want to do something that's, that's, that's a little bit more. But there's also a third pocket. The third pocket is the pocket of sacrifice. The pocket of sacrifice is not a pocket that we can give out of all of the time, but it is a pocket that we give out of sometimes. There's un- those special, unique circumstances and opportunities where God leads us to make sacrifices. And so, um, whereas the generous pocket and the faithful pocket, those are things that we can do and that are not necessarily um, difficult to do, the the sacrificial pocket is much more challenging. And it is out of that pocket that Mary begins to bring worship to Jesus. The sacrificial pocket is... Um, something that might come from the sale of a piece of land or some other revenue or inheritance or a special bonus or something like that. God might lead us to do something that's different. And, but it comes from the soul. And it is not so much about the amount as it is about the sacrifice. Uh, in fact, Jesus affirmed in Luke 21 the widow's might. She was a destitute, poor, little widow lady. And she gives two mites, which is the smallest increment of coin uh, at that time. She, she brings her two pennies and puts them in the treasury of the offering there at the temple. And Jesus affirms her. When we give out of the heart of sacrifice, it is not about the income level as much as it is about the passion and the sacrifice behind it. And this is echoed here in, in John chapter 12. She gives that pint of pure nard. She pours out this beautiful perfume, but she also pours out her heart. Now, it's interesting that the voice of Judas is the, the voice of critique and criticism. Listen, when somebody's generous, we should never criticize somebody for giving generously. Again, this is Judas Iscariot. Sometimes people with a very pious voice can say, well, why would you ever do that? We need to tune that voice out. When you read the gospel passage, Mary gives no response to Judas. Mary is so focused on Jesus that it's like, I don't even care what Judas has said. I'm so with Jesus. Jesus is defending her, right? But Mary says nothing. It's almost like she doesn't even give a rip what Judas has to say. Uh, a, a A few weeks ago, my uh, kids went and sold some of their Legos And this is big business. They got like a couple hundred bucks for selling Legos, you know? Wow. So Zane brought a tithe, and then he said, Mom, I want to buy some Beats headphones. And he went out and he bought these really awesome Beats headphones. They're Beats by Dre. They are Solo 3 wireless headphones. They have Bluetooth capabilities. Amen. And they are noise-canceling. So when you put them on, you, you can, it's almost impossible to hear something else. Zane said, Dad, 
if I turn the volume up to just a five, I literally can't hear any other voices around me, you know? And some of the parents in the room just thought, you know, I'm going to wear Beats headphones when I get home, you know? I thought about that this week because I thought, you know what? I want to turn up the volume of Jesus so much in my life that I cannot hear the other voices. I, I want to tune out the voice of skepticism, the voice of cynicism, the voice of the enemy, the voice of whoever it may be, so that I can hear the voice of Jesus a little bit more clearly. You see, in Christ, we need some noise-canceling headphones, don't we? We need to turn up the volume of Jesus so we can hear what he has to say to us all the more. And Mary, she got this. She understood it. Um, Look at verse 3. It says there that the house was filled with a fragrance from the ointment. Now, you know how just a little dab of perfume can begin to transform a room. Can you imagine what the vente from Starbucks, the pine of pure nard, what that could bring to an entire, I mean, wow, that's some power right there. That's some big power. And uh, it was a prized possession of, of Mary. It may have been an heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation. And why she had it, we don't really know. But the house was filled with the fragrant ointment. And you know, we want people to come to Edge Church and to smell something. Amen? I mean, you know, through our generosity, we want people to come in and to go, what's going on around here? Uh, My kids are real into the essential oils. They got the diffuser, and they're always blowing something up in their room. You know, they're, they're into lavender or what, I don't know what it is, you know. And it always smells awesome. When I go into a place that smells good, I'm always asking, hey, what is that? My favorite is eucalyptus. Does anybody have any fans? Eucalyptus? Okay, like two of us, three? Okay, yeah, that's my favorite. Gina says that's for stress relief. I'm like, well, no wonder it smells so good to me. Amen, you know, love that. When you walk into a place and it smells good, it's attractive, isn't it? We were eating at a restaurant um, the last few years, and they, they served gluten-free food, and the food was really awesome, but the restaurant smelled really bad. And, and, and the restaurant is now out of business, you know? And I don't know if it had to do with the smell or not. The food was actually pretty good. It's too bad, you know? But it just smelled so nasty every time you went in there, you know? I'm convinced this. Even if you don't have time to clean your bathroom at home, if you'll just put some Clorox in the toilet... It'll trick your brain and you'll think that your house is all clean even if it's not because it smells good. When things smell good, they're attractive, aren't they? Well, we want the house of God to smell good. We want the house of God to be a place that is attractive where people come in and they feel loved and they feel encouraged and they feel taught and they feel cared for and they they make friendships and You know what? As we sow those seeds of generosity, we're releasing a fragrance here at Edge Church that is attractive and that is dynamic. And people come in and go, I don't know exactly what's going on here at Edge Church, but I'd like to be a part of that. 
The fragrance filled the entire, it filled the entire house. And we want the house of God to be rich in smell and in aroma. They say that essential oils have different healing capabilities. Uh, some are mood enhancing. Some are energizing. Some are detoxifying. Some are healing. Um, and I think that's really what we're here to do at Edge Church. We want people to come in and go and to receive healing. We want people to come in and go and to feel energized. We want people to come in and to take a big whiff of what's going on and to be able to detoxify the impurities out of their life so they can follow Jesus. So we need the house of God to be filled with the aroma of Christ. That's why King David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I want to make a sacrifice is what David was saying. Uh, Acts 20, 35, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And sacrifice is a huge important part of bringing that great fragrance, isn't it? In Mark 14, um, the other gospel writer says this about the same story. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. But here's what I want you to see in verse 9. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the sacrifice of this woman, Mary, who practiced soulish generosity. She realized that soulish generosity is not logical, that it is motivated by great opportunity, and it is accomplished by, by significant sacrifice. Would you pray with me for just a moment?